Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Philip Nelson as we are breaking down the hectic, crazy Sunday it was at Talladega Super Speedway. We'll also talk about the doubleheader races on Saturday with the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series and NASCAR Truck Series events at Talladega Super Speedway on Saturday. But it was a four-hour and five-minute Cup Series race that spanned two networks. We'll get to that in a little bit and had a ton of controversy, a ton of NASCAR making calls, and in one case, making a call and rescinding that call. 917-889-8280, that is the number to call here tonight on Talking Circles if you want to get on discuss anything, but let's get right to it. Denny Hamlin was your winner. He held off second-place driver, who was at that point was Matt Benedetto, but it ended up being Eric Jones finishing second. Ty Dillon third, William Byron fourth, and Chase Elliott fifth. Um, first of all, you know, the controversy happened where there was contact between uh, Matt Benedetto and William Byron. They sent William Byron below the yellow line, and Denny Hamlin went below it. NASCAR said Hamlin went below the yellow line to avoid an accident, but he stayed down there what seemed like a lot longer than what he probably needed to. Uh, advanced his position, and he really got a clean shot from there to the start-finish line and uh, was able to pull off and win. Uh, but NASCAR said Denny Hamlin went below the yellow line to avoid an accident. And, Philip, let's start right there. Uh, and, and here's where my take is, and then we'll get your take. I think Hamlin definitely did go below the yellow line to avoid an accident. But, you know, and here's where it gets murky. And NASCAR says it's clean, and, and that's what drives me crazy about this regime now. They act like it's a clear and in, in and as clear as can be, and and totally um, black and white. And that when they make the calls, they're they're very simple to make. You know, they came out. Scott Miller came out today on Series Six M Radio and said these calls are easy to make. They can't be that easy if you're going an hour later and, and, and changing the call that you made an hour previously. But to me, this Hamlin deal was he went below the yellow line to avoid an accident, and he should have been able to blend up right after the accident. He didn't do that, and to me, that is where the issue is now. If you want to say he probably would want to race anyway, maybe. But to me, Philip, he was below the yellow line in advance his position. We've seen tweets last, uh, from a couple of years ago saying it didn't matter if you went below, if you were blocked, if you advanced your position, it was still a bad thing. What's your take on the Denny Hamlin winning that race? Do you think he should have been penalized? We'll get to Dee Benedetto, we'll get to Chase Elliott, and we'll get to Chris Buescher and all that a little bit later. But focusing just on Denny Hamlin below the yellow line, what were your thoughts? Oh, he not only should have been penalized, uh, I mean, he should have been sent to the tail uh, of the lead lap the way they ended up doing to uh, the other drivers, D. Benedetto and uh, D. Benedetto and uh, et cetera, et cetera, Chris Buescher. I mean, it's convenient. That's what I, I mean, that's one of the words I always seem to use when we have our chats or if we have it on here. Um, I've said this for a long time and, this is yet an, another example of NASCAR's consistently inconsistent and selective enforcement of of rules because their rules book their rule book is made in pencil, and it depends on who's affected and when and where. Um, you know, the he went not only did he go under the yellow line and he wasn't okay. Fine, the two cars, I guess the 21 and the 24 got together. Okay, fine. 
but he had a lane. He literally had the whole car width of space. He went below the yellow line, advanced his position. He passed four cars under the yellow line. Uh, and, and, I mean, that is as blatant of of Dave. Dave went and nailed Sauter for less. They nailed Justin Haley for less. They nailed Tony Stewart for it back in 2001 when everyone remembers old Junebug after his dad died winning that race with the special plate. But the fact is Tony Stewart was trying to avoid a wreck that was going to be caused by, like, I don't know, Jim, Johnny Benson or somebody. Goes under the yellow line. They send him all the way to detail of the lead lap, and he finished 25th. And, of course, he lost the championship that year, and that was a, that was a lot of points lost. They, it's selective enforcement. It's total BS. It's because it's the Toyota and it's Denny Hamlin. If it was Eric Jones, they would have penalized him. Uh, if it was Kyle Busch, he would have won. If it was Martin Truex, I don't know, maybe go midway. But complete nonsense. It's it's like the the Al Michaels back in the day when he said it's a completely farcical call. Uh, it's uh, lest anyone think that NASCAR has any credibility. This is closer to WWE. Uh, I mean, everything that went on this weekend at that racetrack, which in general it's a joke, the racing, uh, which we'll get into later. But, I mean, Clayton, this is ridiculous. It, it's There's no credibility. It's the same nonsense as Kevin Harvick in, on purposely wrecking people so that he'll stay in the playoff. They don't penalize him for that. They, 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 it picks, it's based on who it is. It's the same thing with Clyde, which we'll get into. But he should not only should he have been penalized, he should sent all the way to the tail end of the lead lap. He advanced positioning past four cars. It's ridiculous. That's just insane. And, and, and this is my thing with it, and, and this is really goes for all the calls here uh, on Sunday at Talladega. It's just so inconsistent as far as, you know, I'm going to be honest, and, and I know you know racing very, very well, NASCAR racing very, very well. Before this weekend, Philip, how many times do you think you saw people get penalized for blocking somebody below the yellow line? Like three? I could count Maybe on one hand, fair... probably. Right, and and now we've seen three guys. Logano got penalized early in the race, and he, got, he would have gotten penalized again uh, had he not wrecked. So – Four times on Sunday they would have penalized somebody for blocking somebody below the yellow line. Are you going to sit there and tell me that that's never happened before uh, to where we, you know, or that they just sit there and say, you know what, this weekend we're going to decide to really enforce blocking. And that to me is where the, pro- the problem lies. Is It's just from when we go to the, the – so the 2021 Daytona 500, we don't know what they're going to call. We have no idea. And that's why this this arrogance that NASCAR has – where they come out and they say it's a, they're easy calls to make. Obviously not. You know, to me, the DiBenedetto deal, I don't – and this is might surprise some people because if you know where I lie on in, in racing right now, I think DiBenedetto got farcely penalized. I thought, yeah, there was contact between him and William Byron. I thought Byron sort of moved below the line to, to save his race car a little bit. I don't know if he was forced, technically forced below the yellow line. But to me, the Busher one, I can swallow a little bit better because I think the Busher sort of did block Chase Elliott um, below the yellow line. Now, I didn't love the call, um, but I think he did. And I'm not sure Chase advanced his position below the yellow line at that point, so I'm not sure a call even needs to be made there. Um, but the fact that they went back an hour later and changed that call is unbelievable. And, and then they have the arrogance to come out and say, 
that these are easy calls to make. You got to be kidding me with that. You have to be kidding me with me. It can't be that easy if you're going back an hour later and making these calls. And you know, I feel for Matthew Benedetto in a way. A lot of people felt he should have won the race. Um, you know, he didn't cross his finish line first, and so it's kind of hard to call. Uh, I think everybody was blocking in that race. I think Logano was crazy aggressive in that race. There was a lot of drivers who were crazy aggressive, but that's part of this 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 speedway racing now is these guys get crazy aggressive, and uh, it's ridiculous. But what were your thoughts on, on the Chase Elliott and the uh, the Matthew Benedetto rulings? I mean, obviously Chase got his position back, finished fifth, and Chris Buescher ended up, uh, who originally finished eighth, ended up 22nd after he got penalized an hour after the event. What were your th- thoughts on those two calls? It's it goes I mean Clayton it goes back to that initial the initial call on Hamlin it's similar you're talking about the most popular driver in the sport he drives a Chevy you're in LCD country and you're you're going to go and penalize Clyde that wasn't going to go over very well and there was going to be a lot of heat and you're talking about the amount of points he gained just by he ends up finishing fifth instead of finishing 20, 22nd. And that's a difference of, I mean, what is it? Busher ended up having, a, he had a really good day. And that's why his points situation looks a lot better. You're, you're talking about, uh, I mean, probably at least 15, 20 points. I mean, it, somewhere around there, some rough math because of the stupidity of, of the, the stages. But you look at where the playoff situation is right now, he'd be up there right up against that bump spot, or he'd be there with Bowman and Logano kind of concerned of having to do something to really be safe. And instead now, you know, they make that call. It's, it's, I mean, it's insane. I I don't, I, there's the, this whole weekend to me, uh, it, it you need to either you need to come up with a new rules uh, package for for super speedways asap uh, whether it's you know tandems whether it's lock going and doing something with locking bumpers whether it's it's you know put a one inch spoiler on there and and give them more horsepower I don't know there has to there has to be something they, I mean I don't care all these idiot sticks they have in in the Daytona Beach Mafia. They have all these people, they pay a lot of money, and all these engineers, they've engineered this car to make it seem like it's Formula One. You're telling me you can't figure out a way so that they're not running over each other like a bunch of, like they were at the, the demolition derby? I mean, it's ridiculous. And screwing Matthew Benedetto, it's convenient because that's what happens, and it goes with the narrative with Matthew Benedetto, and it's sad, and Reddit, and all these, and people feel bad. And he should have won yesterday, honestly. That would have looked even worse if they they'd penalized him and he won the race. Um, once once he didn't win the race, then it made it easier for them to to do the cop out and cop using uh, throwing a Roush racing driver out is not a big deal to them either. Uh, if, it, if he if if Matthew Benedetto was racing for points right now, I'm sure they wouldn't have made that call. Um, it's it's a selective enforcement. And for somebody in the Benedetto spot where he doesn't know where he's going to be or what he's going to do, it's really brutal for him. Uh, but, I mean, whatever. It's it's just insulting. It's insulting to our intelligence. That's what this whole entire weekend was. 
It is, and, and to get back to your original point about Chase Elliott, it was a 17-point game for Chase Elliott to, to appeal that penalty. And that's, the, to me, that's the, even the craziest thing is Hendrick had to go back and appeal that penalty, which I don't even know you could do on a yellow line judgment call like that. Um, and that, to me, is insane that they can do that, that they can appeal that penalty and then have NASCAR look at it an hour later. And I know all finishes aren't official until a day later, and there's a reason for that for sure. But if NASCAR sat there and said, hey, listen, you know, when we went out and we saw it, and we, you know, when we were looking at the finish again, we realized we made a mistake with Chase Elliott. I'm okay with that, but I didn't know you could basically appeal a yellow line penalty and, and get those points back. So really, it was a 17-point net game for Chase Elliott. Uh, puts him 44 points above the cut line instead of 27 because uh, he would have ended up 22nd. He finished fifth. So, um, you know, that who knows? And and to me, it's just I hate when races come down to calls up in the booth. I hate it in football. I hate it in baseball where an umpire or referee or NASCAR in this case, you know, determines basically the, the outcome of a race I, or, or a game. I hate that. Um, and, and that leads me to my next question here, Philip. And, you know, I'll say this. There was a time about five or ten years ago where NASCAR considered lifting the yellow line rule. And a driver said, no, no, we like that. We like to have sort of an out-of-bounds rule. I think Tony Stewart was one of the guys who was actually pro-yellow line rule at that time. Um, so that leads me to my question, and this is where I want to get your opinion do you think the yellow line rule has sort of outlived its life, or do you think there's a modification they can do for this yellow line rule to make it a little bit where it's just less of a factor, I guess? What are your thoughts on the yellow line and the future of it? I mean, when you have when you have Junebug, when he wasn't screaming, losing his mind like he was Jeff Burton yesterday come out and he was red in his face like Paul Tracy and he's like you need to get rid of the yellow line rule somebody who of course benefited from passing somebody under the yellow line to win a race at Talladega the the reality is this that that race yesterday reminded me of Tony's post-rec presser outside of his hauler where Arning's trying not to laugh because the whole entire time he's sitting there saying I just wanted to be involved in one more wreck one more wreck. I wanted to tape them off solid and blow it up. Wait until they blow up. I want to do figure eight next week. I want to make sure we do half, we run halfway and flip half the field or do like, that's what that was. The yellow line rule is not going to fix this kind of racing. Literally we had a close call during the Daytona 500. We had what could have been the worst case scenario. And which was similar to 2001, if Newman ends up not making it. Newman made it. So then they keep this stupid rules package. They run into each other like morons because they don't have anywhere to go. And you have these third-rate type drivers just running into the other person over and over again, sending them into the fence, causing wrecks. And the yellow line rule isn't going to prevent wrecks. The reality was back in the day when you actually had a throttle response and you had a little more wiggle room, the cars were off the ground, the yellow line rule actually had a purpose. Um, and Daytona is so narrow that you could say the yellow line rule, I think, makes a little more of a difference at, at Daytona because it's such a tight, it's much tighter uh, and, and it's much more severe in terms of the banking and transitions. Uh, 
the Talladega is so wide, the yellow line rule doesn't really matter. And frankly, they've paved everything off. It's the same way as in road racing at a lot of circuits where they've paved runoff areas. So then they just go and drive off and they have to come up with with uh, driving standards or whatever they, they call track limits. So in, in, in theory, it's track limits, but it really isn't track limits. These idiots are going to run over each other no matter where they are. They'll run, each, run over each other in the corners. They'll run over each other on the straightaway. They'll run over each other on the trioval. They'll run over each other anywhere. The yellow line rule is not going to go and fix that. The yellow line rule is just nonsense. And, and based on how they call the yellow line rule, it's typical, selective, uh, consistently inconsistent crap. If, if I'm a Joey Logano person, obviously I'm not. If you're a fan of Joey Logano, you feel like he got hosed, but he did run over like half the field or whatever. If you're, if you're a Chris Buescher fan or, or D. Benedetto, you just feel like absolute fan. You're, you just feel horrible. It's like it's the same thing as when Regan Smith went underneath Tony Stewart in 08 and, and, and cost himself that he lost that what race. And it's okay. The, in the next race they had at Talladega, Brad held his line and sent, sent Carl Edwards into the grandstands. And then the 2009 Coke Zero 400, Tony held his line, and Kyle Busch turned himself, turned himself across his nose and went up into the catch fence. Like, that's what, that was what those cars were like, and they were taking off and doing all that. That was when it was mono mono, you know, kind of thing. That's what you, they want. They want the replay. They want the wrecks. The yellow line rule is so that they have highlights. That's what the yellow line rule is for. It's not for safety. Because none of the, the crap they do at Daytona Talladega is not about safety. It's about wrecking race cars. That's all it is. It's a demolition derby. The yellow line rule is just a waste. Like most of the rules they have for Daytona Talladega, it's stupid. And it's, it's farcical. Yeah, uh, listen, I totally agree. I think yesterday was a where you looked at it and you said somebody was like, you know, they they do it because we want to prevent accidents. Well, you had 30 cars pretty much, you know, and I'm, I don't I didn't go and count each one, but I would guess about 30 cars were damaged yesterday of 39. What are we trying to do with the yellow line rule? Say, you know what, we don't want 32 cars damaged. I mean, come on, is that really that important? But I want to touch on something else you've discussed, and you know, to me, let me finish this point about the yellow line. To me. What NASCAR did yesterday and what they failed to do, especially with the Denny Hamlin thing, in my opinion, is they failed to take into account that these guys can lift when they when they are driving. They can lift to avoid an accident. Now what they're doing is saying – or they can lift to avoid uh, going below the yellow line if they have to. Um, now what they're doing is saying basically you can go below the yellow line if you feel like you can make a pass there. You know, it, it just – to me, it really opens up a can of worms with this whole blocking thing, um, and it's going to be making for – I don't know if it's a word I want to say is interesting, Daytona 500, but next year, but it's going to make for a very controversial Daytona 500, I think. Um, but I want to touch about what you said about Tony Stewart's comments after that uh, – I don't know how long ago that was, a few years ago when he made those comments. 2012, that's crazy, that's eight years ago, but um, you know where he said, we, we, we need to wreck one more car. He's absolutely correct about that, and, and it's – crazy that we've been dealing with this for almost a decade now on these play tracks where it just comes into a, a basically a big pile. And I, well, 
ultimately I think we need to do with these restrictor plate races or super speedway races, excuse me, is bring some handling back to these race cars to where, you know, I think it would help with – I can't stand the, the manufacturer working together and this guy, that guy. That's annoying as well. But if we bring back handling, I think it, it helps the situation immensely. And I think the way you do that is you open up the rule book a little bit, you let these teams and, and you know crew chiefs do a little bit more, um, and still be strict with it, and still have no tolerance. But you know, let these teams play with the play with the cars a little bit more. Um, I, you know, I think that's that's the only thing you could do because right now these cars are all in a big pack going the same speed, and it's all about momentum and and blocking and all that kind of stuff. Where if you could handle a little bit. You know, you'd thin out the pack a little bit more. You'd make it a lot more interesting, in my opinion. So um, that's my take on, on on Talladega. But, you know, it is kind of crazy when you look at it. It's sort of – we always call – people call it a wild card race. And uh, I'm not sure that's a great term. It's more of a, a race that is just – it just happens, you know. And, and it's so different than anything we do uh, other at any other racetrack. And – you know, the fact that it kind of helps determine a championship is, is a problem. But, you know, I'm going to comment and I'll look at the points right now after Talladega. I'm going to say this. This is the same thing I talked about last week. You look at people who don't have playoff points. They're the ones in trouble right now that didn't have playoff points to carry them through Talladega. Austin Dillon won one race, got three playoff points. I don't think he won a stage other than that. Kyle Busch, maybe won one stage all year. He's below the yellow line. He's below the uh, cut line. Clint Boyer and Eric Amarola, both guys who had pretty nice years, but didn't get enough playoff points to help carry them right now. And when you look at the bottom four, it's Austin Dillon, 21 points back. Kyle Busch, 21 points back. Clint Boyer, 38 points back. And Eric Amarola, 48 points back. So I think these guys, as we head to the Oval at Charlotte, I think all four of these guys are pretty much in a winner-go-home situation. Uh, sure, a lot can happen with the stages and all that, but uh, you know they're so far back right now, 20 or more points. Um, I think they're pretty much in a win or go home situation. These guys in the, uh, below the cut line right now. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you're right on that, Clayton. It's it's not. There's no way um, any of those guys are going to make it. Especially uh, the two Stuart Haas guys. Uh, they lost so much ground. Clint Boyer by being Clint Boyer and running over Jimmy Johnson yesterday, and then Alex Bowman being Alex Bowman and returning Eric Almirola however many laps into the race. I mean, that that really was they, they any chance they had of advancing went with their um cars being demoed out, you know, that that early in the race. And they neither guy is exactly the greatest road racer. Are you think Boyer's a little better road racer? Uh, I think he might have won one race on a road course, I think some Snoroma, but I don't see him winning uh, on Sunday. Austin Dillon lost his chance to advance when he had the power steering problem at Vegas. He was in a position before that to where it could have been a sweat, and it would have been kind of difficult. He's not a good road racer, uh, but the car can do well on road courses, as Kaz Grala showed when he filled in for Austin when he had covid and uh, so, but, you know, maybe Austin Dillon pulls one more out of his butt, but I don't think so. I think the only person out of that group that has a chance is Kyle Busch. Now, he already said, 
after he finished second at Bristol that they're not going to advance after this round. Well, he he's the only at this point he's the only person. Him and Adam Stevens are the only two people I could really determine if that's going to be the case or not. Um, I don't know where they're going to start relative because of the stupid algorithm they have now. Uh, I mean, he finished. I mean, he was buried. He finished 27, so he's going to be on the back end of the of the chase grid in terms of the starting position. So he'll probably be in the bottom four uh, or somewhere around there. He'll probably be around between eighth, tenth, somewhere. Passing at the Roval is very difficult. Um, if you have a good race car, it's one thing, but you've got Clyde, who's going to be up there, and he's he's become the road course king now. You have guys that are in front of him. I mean, Hamlin's a decent road racer. Um, Harvick has not done anything. He didn't. He was horrible at Daytona. Uh, he's had some off races here. Uh, I think he's just holding on. He'll try to get stage, stage points and, and just advance. Or he starts the car and he'll he'll make it into the next round, whatever. But Kyle Busch is the only one that really determines his fate. The rest of them, I think, are done. Uh, but I don't know what you think, but I think Kyle Busch is the only one that I feel like if he he goes out there and he gets mad, really mad, and he decides he wants to win this thing, he can do it uh, and, and advance. But there's there's not a whole lot that we've seen this year uh, out of that car, out of him and out of Adam Steven, that whole crew, as the defending series champion that makes me believe that they are going to advance. But it's Kyle Busch. You can't ever count him out until it's over. You're absolutely right, Philip. I, I totally agree. I mean, Boyer, I think, has an outside chance just because we've seen him win on road course races before. Uh, by the way, Kyle's starting ninth, uh, according to Bob Pockers, who did the math. He'll be starting around mm-hmm. ninth. Boyer, 11th. Amarola, 12th. And uh, Austin Dillon, 6th for the Roval uh, on Sunday. But, yeah, I agree. Listen, Kyle is the guy to me. He he can go out and win both stages and put himself into a position where, you know, if he finishes in the top three, he can do that. Um, but you need a lot of luck for that to happen. And, and Kyle, to me, this year has just not had that on his side. And again, yeah. I point to the playoff. I put I point to the playoff points. I think that is a major factor here. And as we get more and more used to this um, to this format with the playoff points and and you know the format we've we've crowned a champion, which we've done the last four or five years. You, you just see how valuable they are because the guys who have them are advancing and the guys who don't aren't, uh, especially through the first two rounds. So um, it's gonna it's certainly carrying you. And, uh, you know, we'll see what Kyle Busch does. It's going to be a very, very interesting race on Sunday for the Roval um, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. 917-889-8280, that's the number to call here tonight. want to discuss something else, Philip, that really grind my gears a lot. Uh, for lack of a better term, uh, well, that was NBC. And, you know, I know people have their opinions on, on what broadcaster is great and what broadcaster is not great and, and who's a better broadcaster and whatnot. But ultimately to me, uh, when you have a race on national television and a race as popular as Talladega is, and I know we hardcore fans kind of look at that and say, it's ooh, Talladega. But there are a lot of fans who, let's face it, watch just for the big wrecks and just for – the exciting finishes and all that that happens at Talladega Super Speedway. When you have a race like that and you basically, I, I wouldn't say a mandate, but suggest hard, you know, 
suggest suggest to NASCAR to start these races at two o'clock when you can't finish a race on national television because it ran too late? I'm sorry, I think that is absolutely absurd. Um, and I know there was a few red flags thrown in there that really slowed the race down. There's no question, and people are going to look at 500 miles of Talladega and say we should run 500 miles of Talladega. Well, to me, we need NBC to stay on, and if and there should be a rule, and NASCAR should mandate it. If a race starts on network television, it needs to finish on network television. Uh, to me, that was a completely ridiculous move by NBC. I don't care what the excuse is. I don't care what people say about NBCSN. Uh, national television, to me, the ratings uh, for national tele- national televised races are always about a point and a half higher than they are on the non-national televised races. And NBC only has three of them. You know, NASCAR is bad down, give them stages, give them start times, give them all kinds of nonsense over the last five years to really bow down and let them kind of do whatever they want. And and for them to not man up and, and figure out a way to put that race and keep that race on national television, I think was a really, really ridiculous move by NBC. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, I'm not shocked that they went and changed the channel at six o'clock. I mean, it's kind of, it's been a thing going back to Fox and going back all the way since we've had post-2000 TV, they've done that. Um, I mean, NBC also, since they've come back, they've had this emphasis on having most of their races on on the sports network and emphasizing their uh, the gold package now that they have. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you have Talladega and, you know, most people want to sit there and watch the Demolition Derby and they start the race that late, you're opening yourself up to that. Talladega races, for as long as you and I were watch, have been watching, were 12.30 starts or 12.45 they start the race. You could have all that BS that they did yesterday and it would have been done by 5. But... For some reason, TV, they worry about the West Coast viewer. I'm like, granted, here's the reality of the West Coast viewer, and here's the reality of this TV nonsense. You're not going to beat the NFL no matter what time you start the dang race. You could start the race at 12 noon. You could start the race at 10 10 a.m. You could start the race at 5 o'clock. You're not beating the NFL. So stop acting like you're going to beat the NFL. Number two, it's Talladega. They're going to wreck a bunch of race cars. They decide now to go under red flag more before they have these horrendous wrecks and they go and drive around for 30 laps under yellow. Now they they go and go under red uh, a lot more, whether they think it's safety or for whatever reason. So that takes a lot of time. It takes time either way, but going off of NBC, not really giving any warning and going to the network, sports network, wasn't great, um, but I think it kind of fit with everything that went on yesterday because you don't need to be on NBC to have the demo derby at, at Talladega. You don't, you don't really, you could just have the thing in the backyard. Like we could just go and open up our backyard and just have a bunch of people run over each other. That's what they did yesterday, except they get paid a crap ton of money to go and do it. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And and NBC, they they selectively choose their races that they want on the network 
versus on the cable channel. They need to get more houses with this channel so that it actually is a thing. Of course, it's with sports packages, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's insane, I'll tell you. It was definitely not a great day unless you're you're a certain type. Uh, if, if you're into a certain thing, you're a Denny Hamlin fan. I mean, that was definitely not a good uh, day on all accounts. And NBC has definitely taken a step backward this year uh, during this COVID um, announcing uh, with the way they've dealt with it and the way they it's they're announcing across the board has been brutal. And to yesterday was no different. Yeah, and that's to me the thing. You know, to me it's just you got to do what's optimal for the race fan. And I know there's a lot of people again who feel like, you know, well you can watch it on the app, you can watch it on NBCSN. A lot of people, 19 million households get this NBCSN. So what's the big deal? But at the end of the day, you know, you got people who are let's let's be honest, who are 50 plus who don't know what how to work an app as well as let's say us 20, 20, 30-year-olds, uh, and some people who don't have NBCSN. And, and it's a national t- national uh, NB- it's a national televised race where if you got the fans who aren't as into stock car racing watching the end of that race, they could totally say, hey, you know what, I'm going to get into this thing. But they missed the finish because they had to, because of their news or whatever. It, to me, it's just – it was crazy. Uh, but one thing about the length of the races, and, and then we'll move on to the Xfinity breakdown – uh, you know, can we not have a competition caution? I mean, come on. It's it's gotten to – and I understand the, the point of doing it in a way where, um, you know, with no practice and stuff like that, but I, then force them to take tires, please. I can't – they had three, two cautions before the competition caution this weekend. At least say, okay, you know, we'll have a competition caution, but it's not mandatory, uh, where it won't be the third or fourth caution. I mean, the competition caution slows the race down. Then you have stages that slow the race down. I mean, I, I really think stages and competition cautions have added at least 25 to 30 minutes of these races. And uh, that's, a big de- that's a big deal when you're a sports fan watching at home. It really is. 917-889-8280. That's the number of call here tonight. I'm talking circles. NASCAR Xfinity Series racing from uh, Talladega Super Speedway. Um, it was the Ag Pro 300. And, again, another Super Speedway race fill up and another – win by a colleague racing Chevrolet, uh, Justin Haley, going to victory lane. Ryan Sieg finished second. Noah Gregson third. Brent Jones fourth. Daniel Hemrick uh, in the fifth spot. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Xfinity Series race from Talladega Super Speedway? Justin Haley's become a Super Speedway uh, a master. He, he joined an exclusive company in uh, Super Speedway lore, uh, they have one name, and it's Earnhardt and Justin. It's it's Dale Senior, Dale Junior, and Justin Haley who won three consecutive uh, Super Speedway races. And quite frankly, he wasn't in a position that he could have won that deal. And he just did what he had to do. He would he went and made the right moves. He was calling it bunny hopping, where he was kind of going inside, getting outside draft, and making a move. And he did it efficiently. You think about it, how well he did yesterday. He had a top 15 finish in that piece of crap for Spire, which he's probably going to be driving next year anyway. Um, I mean, Haley is a talented driver. He showed that in K&N. He's shown that in other, like, Trans Am. He's shown that when he was J.J. Haley 
Then he decided he'd become Justin Ailey. Uh, he's shown that now in the Xfinity series. Uh, he may not win this championship, but what he does have is the potential, and that's what Spire is banking on if they're supposedly going to take that step forward that they're selling. They were selling that bill of goods on the download. Uh, but in terms of Saturday, the quality cars were all fast as usual. Uh, the Chevys, of course, outnumbered everybody, and it it was a good deal for him advancing the next round. It'll be a couple of cookie cutters and 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 Martinsville, which may not fit as well for Haley's style and the way he's his team has been running. For Ryan Sieg, it's a huge deal. For him and that organization, they have a buffer going into uh, – they have a huge buffer right now, you know, because uh, you have, what is it, 12, and that goes into eight. And he's he's got 20 points on Ross Jastain for the cutoff and uh, even another seven. So 27 on Harrison Burton, who's right outside. He's the first car outside. So – it, it was a big couple of weeks here for Ryan Sieg he, in, in this playoff. The way he's run is probably the best I think Ryan Sieg's ever run in his career. And kind of tells you if you have the equipment, you give somebody an opportunity, they can go and do something. Of course, he had to avoid some wrecks and the demo derby crap and Noah Gregson, you know, being Noah Gregson and – he avoided all that, and he was able to make something out of the deal. So credit to Justin Haley, College Racing, getting another uh, super speedway win. And, uh, yeah, and there, there, there was a whole lot that happened there late. Uh, I could probably go off on another rant like I did earlier, but I'll, I'll save that probably for another place. Yeah, it was uh, a, a wild finish. Michael Annette got got disqualified from his finish. I believe he ended up originally second, but he got disqualified for his car being half an inch too low. So he now is 12 points, 38 points back at eighth. He's going to need to win here at the Roval if he wants to get in. Same thing with Riley Herbst, who uh, if he doesn't win at the Roval, he's eliminated probably as well. Then you mentioned Brandon Brown, 19 points back uh, in 10th. Ninth is Harrison Burton. He's seven back of Ross Chastain. To me, those are the two big – big guys that can really sway, sway things here are uh, Burton and Chastain. Obviously, um, Olgaier is not completely comfortable right now with how things have turned out. But I think if he stays out of trouble and runs his race at this rubble, he'll be in good shape. Get a couple stage points, he'll be in good shape. It's really between Chastain and Harrison Burton. Uh, and it's been kind of surprising seeing Harrison Burton who got off to a decent start this year. But that 20 car is really, especially in the playoffs, taking a nosedive here. Um, and this is a young kid who doesn't have a lot of racing experience to begin with, but I think even less road course racing experience. So uh, Ross doesn't have a ton either. I know he ran the Roval twice in the Cup Series, but he's not run it anywhere else. Um, but what are your thoughts on, on Chastain and Burton and Allgaier right there uh, at the cutoff for this Xfinity Series? Yeah, Allgaier's bad luck came through on Saturday with the motor problem and then whatever else happened to him he's run way better excuse me than some of the finishes he's had and uh that was kind of what happened in the regular season as well but then he finally was able to come through win a couple races he'll be fine he's a road course 
uh, really good on road courses. As long as he doesn't have a mechanical or get dumped, I think Allgaier is okay. Uh, Sieg is probably going to run about top 20. I, I don't think he's going to do anything spectacular. So it's kind of just manage, maybe go and get stage points in stage one. He's kind of, you know, they, there's nothing really. I think he wants to just make sure he finishes because that'll mean that and 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 maybe get stage points and then he'll he'll be fine. I don't know who to pick in terms of Burton and Chastain. You look back to last year, Harrison Burton didn't even make the playoffs for Kyle Busch Motorsports. This year he's had a few wins, but ever since he won those races, he's kind of taken a step backwards. Uh, the Gibbs cars in general are not that great. I mean, Bruckshot Jones is the only one that's kind of in contention, and he's Bruckshot Jones. He's been racing in the series for like five or six years or whatever it's been. He's been in there forever, so you would assume he'd be able to do it by now. Um, they, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing is good on road courses. They have the history. But you have Harrison Burton, who's very inexperienced on road courses, as you said. Ross Chastain's not known as a road racer. Um Spencer's pulling his hair out, losing his mind with what's gone on with Ross Chastain. He's had a really good year. He had points. He accumulated a lot of points. But you brought it up earlier, Clayton. You talked about playoff points. You have Harrison Burton as 14, Ross Chastain as 10. And outside of Ryan Sieg, of course, which is a miss, which is just like an uh, uh, outlier. Every one of the other drivers has at least 20, 20 points, playoff points. So if you are able to gain those kind of points early in the regular season, it, it, it gives credence to the stupidity of stages. You know, the reala- reality is they just want competition yellow so that they can go to commercial break. But um, – in terms of what they have to do there, I have no idea what's going to happen at the Roval. It's much more uh, dicey in other series, whether it's the Xfinity or the trucks on a road course than it would be in the Cup Series. It's a lot more predictable. Um, I think we know who's going to be up front during the this Xfinity race on Saturday afternoon. Uh, but in terms of those two guys, they're going to have to go and accumulate a lot of stage points. They're just going to be watching each other, really. That's where the real battle is, um, who can go and, and do what they have to do on uh, Saturday afternoon. Harrison Burton has to really run about as well as any Burton's ever run on a road course to advance into the second round, which kind of fits the Gibbs cars a lot better. Yeah, it's going to be wild. Um, you know, we know Cindric mentioned, mentioned Cindric. He's going to be a, a factor for sure. Uh, Chase Briscoe won Indianapolis, and a lot of people don't expect him to win the Indianapolis road race. He was able to pull off and do that. So uh, pretty cool, you know, um, deal there. Uh, how about the Truck Series event? It ended with Rafael Lassard, uh going to victory lane. Trevor Bain finished second. Chandler Smith third. Ben Rhodes fourth and Cody Robal uh, fifth. That's the ended kind of under caution, a, a late race yellow um, when Austin, when Austin Hill and others uh, got into a 
got into a wreck there, and um, it race was frozen, and Lassard was in victory lane. Uh, Lassard was in front of Trevor Bain, I should say. A lot of people felt Bain should have won that race, but the call was made, and Lassard was in, was was victorious. Uh, what are your thoughts on um, on Rafael Lassard and, and uh, winning the Truck Series event at Talladega Super Speedway? It's a big deal for Rafael Lassard. You know, it's been a rough year. Kyle Busch Motorsports in general has not really been that great the last two or three years. For as good as everybody thinks of them as, and when Kyle gets in the truck, he seems to win virtually every time. He got Greg Biffle out of the rocking chair, and he went and jumped in there, and he won at Texas last year. Out The regular drivers, the full-time drivers he's had, going back to, to nosebleed Gregson, there hasn't been a whole lot of productivity there. And, yeah, Gregson made the Final Four, but then that's kind of going back to the playoff points and all that. He kind of wrote out those playoff points, got into that Final Four. You know, last year, both regular drivers didn't even make the playoff. The You had David or Todd Gillen going and cursing out Kyle Busch, and he knew he was getting fired anyway, so he's like, ah, screw it. I'll go and tell him to go screw himself. He knew he was going to his dad's team. You know, Harrison Burton didn't do anything really of, of value, and he he didn't make the playoff, and he got a good Xfinity ride. This year, Lassard was nowhere for most of the year, and he's kind of taken a step forward, though. Eckes is in the playoff, and he hasn't won yet. He's he's in a in a you know he just got eliminated, so it, it's a tough deal for Christian Eckes because um, that was a cutoff race there. It was ten, yeah, and then. I think that's what it was. Yeah, it was an elimination race. Uh for for uh the the for Rafael Lassard, I think it saved his job. Uh, I think Chandler Smith's gonna be in one of the trucks next year. They may end up running three full time trucks. Uh but for Rafael Lassard, whether it's at Kyle Bush Motorsports, whether it's at one of the other truck teams that exist, I think he's given himself an opportunity, brings some money. Uh, he's been a Toyota development, Kyle Busch Motorsports development guy. He's Canadian. He brings a, a different flavor. To beat Trevor Bain, a former Daytona 500 winner on the Super Speedway, is a big deal. Um, I mean, the race itself was kind of you know, typical for truck racing uh, at at uh, Super Speedways. You had wrecks that were unnecessary, like Dawson Cram, who was on our show uh, earlier this year, got destroyed for no reason. Um, It's like the defending race winner, Spencer Boyd, only went 12 laps. You know, like that's that's kind of what it is. Gustine got hooked. He got into Timmy Hill truck and other people like that. But, you know, credit to Raphael Lassard, that whole team, Kyle Busch Motorsports gets a 1-3 in this race, and uh, even with the loss and being out of the playoff, they they still got a win out of it. So um, credit to them. For sure. And, you know, you mentioned the K- KBM trucks. Uh, they've been off. So, you know, you got to capitalize on your opportunities to win races. And that's another side. Certainly did that. Uh, 
you know, and, and it was certainly a, uh, a elimination race where Christian Eckes, one of the top of motorsports trucks, and Todd Gelland, uh, who's driving for Front Row Motorsports this year, um, got eliminated from the playoffs. They went Kansas in a couple of weeks. Um, the top, the eight that advanced to the play to the to the next round: Austin Hill, Sheldon Creed, Zane Smith, Grandin Finger, Brett Moffitt, Ben Rhodes, Matt Crafton, and Tyler Ankrum. Uh, if you're a Truck Series fan, so they run Kansas, Texas, and then Martinsville before they get to Phoenix. So they're winding down their set their schedule. It's crazy. Uh, with how 2020 went, uh, just how close we are to finishing this season on time and, and getting all the races in where a lot of other sports can't say that. So uh, certainly a, a, a victory, victory and victorious for NASCAR if you look at it from that standpoint. Something else I want to touch on, Philip, uh, as we get done breaking down the races here. Um, Kyle Larson made the headlines last night. I'm not sure how many people saw it. I'm sure you did. Uh, Kyle Larson making headlines last night um, comes out and apologizes for using the racial slur he used earlier um, during the pandemic. Says basically he's learned from it. Kyle Larson said, "My lesson already released it on KyleLarsonRacing.com." Um, he said, "Being labeled here's most important of what he said or highlighted most." He said, uh, "Anger came at me from all angles. Being labeled a racist hurt the most, but I brought that on myself. What I didn't expect though were the people who." Despite their disappointment in what I did, made the choice to not give up on me, it motivates me to repay their faith by working harder, not only giving up on myself, but making sure positive positivity comes from the harm I caused. Uh, he also said the N-word is not his word to use. He understands that now, and he might not have understood that so well uh, before. But what did you make of that and uh, of Larson's apology? Do you think it's something that um, can, you know, I, I guess that sort of, you think he's learned from what he's what he's uh, from what happened, and what do you think of the future of Kyle Larson here uh, after his uh, apology and what happened here on Sunday night? I think for Kyle Larson and for Spencer because this is his guy, um, it's part of a plan in that he has they have in place between him. Uh, NASCAR in terms of an, a reinstatement, which he hadn't said a whole lot for a while when he was sitting there winning all them 410 sprint car races. Uh, and he almost won another big one on Saturday, uh, got beat by somebody who's at his level in Donnie Schatz for Tony Stewart and Ford. Uh, but he is putting this out there. He's been underground. He's gone off of social media and he's trying to fix uh, some of the issues. I mean, I, I think there are certain things that are still there. There's, there's definitely clues and things that exist that you see that he hasn't learned certain aspects, but I think deep down inside, he knows that he, he's realized that he kind of still wants to be a NASCAR driver and he has an owner of a very important team that wants him and is willing to kind of work around his uh, love of, of sprint car racing and midgets and whatever. And so all of these things have come together and at a time where we have all this divisiveness and anger and and just sheer hatred towards one another. Uh, Kyle Larson seemingly has 
educated himself and tried to be better and, you know, losing your career and losing or losing what was a, a cush gig and putting yourself in a position where you might end up being in a better car. Uh, I don't know how great that is for the world, but whatever. When you're as good of a driver, as as good of a raw talent as Kyle Larson is, uh, you're going to get second chances anyway. But uh, we'll see. Uh, I figure we're going to hear some news uh, shortly, probably with whether it's this week or uh, during the Roval, because it's Charlotte. Usually a lot of big announcements happen during Charlotte weekend. Uh, over the years, and whether it's this weekend, whether it's probably by Martinsville, I feel like we're going to hear some news about Kyle Larson coming back to the Cup Series, and uh, he's going to be in a pretty important car that exists in uh, in in NASCAR today. So I guess he's going to be able, he's going to have to answer a lot of questions, and he's going to get grilled by some of the lame lamestream media and NASCAR, and he's going to have to answer to a lot more people than that. Um, but it seems like uh, he's done all the right things, and he keeps on winning. Uh, so he's going to be able to show if he really wants to be a NASCAR driver here shortly uh, based on what he's saying and what he's learned. Uh, we're going to see how good of a driver Kyle Larson really is now. Uh, he won't have any excuses yeah. after this opportunity that he's going to get. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of people pointed at the 42 and were like, well, that's a good ride. But it's funny, Matt Kenseth, Matt Kenseth has gotten into that car and has not performed very well at all. They actually fired their crew chief, Chad Johnson, there. Um, and, you know, he's been linked to the 48 car. Uh, and it's funny they haven't announced anybody for that ride yet. And I don't think it's a coincidence it came out this week. I think you're going to see some some news about the 48 and Kyle Larson here uh, either this week or next week, like I said, in the short-term future here. I don't think it's a coincidence that that came out right there and then. Um, you know, you have to say, is, is, what is a death sentence in this sport? And, you know, saying a word like that obviously was, you know, he got what he deserved when he got suspended. Uh, and, you know, there's no question about that. Um, but people, yes, also say people deserve a second chance People deserve to learn from their mistakes, and I think Larson has truly done that. Uh, I said if, when it was said, I don't think Kyle Larson is racist. I just think he was very, very, very stupid uh, in, in not understanding the magnitude of that word and not understanding what that word means to, to certain people. Um, and I think he got it with whatever he's done here over the last uh, four or five months. So certainly something that uh, – you know, it makes him a better person. And you're right, he's won races. He's done great with what he's been doing race-wise. Uh, so I think that's something that, um, looking forward here, Kyle Larson is in good shape. Um, as far as a Cup Series ride, there's other rides. I'm sure we're going to get a lot more silly season news here in the week coming up. But I uh, just want to get your take uh, on the schedule that was released last week. I know we touched on a little bit last week, but uh, what really stands out to you um, you know, is there one race that really stands out to you, that one move that you liked and one move that you didn't like um, as far as the schedule was concerned? I mean, I'll, I, we went over it on the uh, Grip Strip podcast. Sorry, I, I figured we went into a deep dive, Josh. 
uh, Hafine and myself um, there, and you've been on there, Clayton. Uh, we went and spent a lot of time on it because it ended up happening the day we did the show. I think, I, I honestly think uh, I have high hopes for the race at Circuit of the Americas. Why? Because I feel like between the fact that Clyde's the best, seemingly the best road racer that, that's going on there right now, and the fact that they're going to have more road courses than they ever had in this in Cup Series, they need to bring in local yellows. So then if they have local yellows, you're going to be able to actually race. And I feel like stock cars on a track like that with multiple hard braking zones, I think there's a lot of potential for a really good event, and that'll be the lead into the Coca-Cola 600 uh, next year. I, I honestly think that, that there's a lot of potential there for that to be good. I mean, another nugget is, of course, Darlington having two races again. That's a beautiful thing because you, uh, you have such a great group of people there at Darlington Raceway. You, you, I, I'm forgetting the guy who, who's the, the PR or whatever, the, the guy that runs it. Run, he used to work for NASCAR, Kerry Tharp. Yeah, Kerry Tharp, that whole crew, um, they, they do such an amazing job. They deal with the NMPA as well, and I'm glad they have two races again. They deserve that. Um, they should have never lost both their races the both both the races the way it went it worked out. But BZF is BZF. On the other hand, having dirt on Bristol makes no sense. Uh especially with these cars. They did it with the World of Outlaws way back when Sammy Swindell won those races, but that's the World of Outlaws. Uh you're talking about thirty five hundred pound stock cars. We saw what they did on the truck series. You had Tony Stewart at Tony Stewart's track, trying to make his own track, trying to make truck series racing work. You had it for a couple, two, three years. And then the last race was a complete bore fest and it was horrible. And the guy that won the race didn't even have to pit. I feel like the racing that they're going to have at Bristol for the dirt in the spring is going to be not, is not going to be great. Uh, maybe it pull it comes off. They ruin Bristol anyway, the way that SMI ruins every track. But maybe dirt makes Bristol better. I don't know, but I don't see it. That's me. I don't know what you were thinking. It's funny you say that because I did a little bit of a piece on it because I felt it was so monumental and uh, I felt like we, I had to give my take on it. I agree. I think Bristol, I don't understand it. You know, we shouldn't have to sacrifice a short track race to get a dirt race, A, especially when we just took dates away from Kentucky, which I'm not going to miss, and Chicagoland, I'm not going to miss either. I'm being frank about it. Uh, you know, we shouldn't have to sacrifice a short track race to get a dirt race. And especially there's how many – I mean, I, you can, I mean, you can name them off, the, the great dirt tracks around this country that – you know, and, and their excuse of – well, we want to have 100,000. We think we're going to get 100,000 people there, so we want to make sure we have a facility that can hold 100,000. That's a bunch of nonsense, first of all. Uh, it's it's all about Bristol and SMI. I don't want to lose that date uh, of of the TV money. That's all it comes down to. Uh, the rest, the sec, it's secondary that the attendance and how many people they can get. 
Uh, I, I get worried about how long is this race going to be? Um, will there, you know, when you're on a natural dirt surface and you got grass or dirt, whatever underneath it, you know, you got natural, um, you know, atmosphere underneath it where if it's wet, it's rainy, you know, it's, it's can come up, you know, it's going to be hard to keep that track at a surface that people are going to be happy with. I think whether it's too dry, whether it's too wet, uh, because you don't have the natural dirt to, to mix in with it or, or, you know, the natural it's concrete underneath it. So it's kind of a head scratcher that one. I understand what they're trying to do. I think the TV networks kind of asked for this to happen. Um, so I'm not thrilled with that. Uh, I love Darlington getting another day. I think that's tremendous. I, I like Atlanta getting another day. I think that's great. Um, you know, I'm not a huge on, on road courses. I know there's six of them on this schedule, but I'd rather have that than the mile and a half tracks. And I'm hoping that, you know, with what they're saying here in 2021, that they're going to move other dates around that maybe some of these road course races are just temporary and they're trying to look at short tracks to add to. Obviously we're going to have the short track at Auto Club Speedway. Um, that is going to be an interesting one in 2022 as well. So I'm hoping as the 2021 season gets underway, they start moving some dates around for 2022. Um, I can, I would love that, but it was certainly Philip something that with this schedule, it was stale. There's no question about it. It, the mile and a half were way too many of them, way too many mile and a half tracks. So to get, take a couple, even more, a couple more off the schedule, I'm all for, um, and it, it's got a nice balance. Again, I would like to see more short tracks than road courses. Um, if we can do that, that'd be great. I'm not sure where Iowa stands at this point. Sounds like you know they didn't put it added to the cup schedule, so who knows where it, it goes to right now. Um, also, I think uh, – I'm curious on your takes on a one-day show, so before we end up here, this is going to be the last thing before we end the show tonight. Just 28 one-day shows. There's a few big-time events that have practice and qualifying, uh, but 28 events will not. Uh, what's your take on that? Do you like that? Do you think that it's worked this year? Do you think it doesn't really matter? I know a lot of people think qualifying doesn't really matter and practice doesn't really matter. What's your take on that as an old-school fan and somebody who we sort of have a lot of the same thoughts process with stuff like that? What's your thoughts on on, uh, 28 one-day shows? I think, I mean, Clay, I know we want practice, but what I've also seen is they've kind of made it in a way where just practice is just a waste of time in some of these races. I mean, when you go to a plate track, uh, super speedway track, you don't really, you're just driving around. Um, they have it for the big races. They have it for the new tracks that they're going to next year. 28 one day shows saves, saves teams money. When you're running all these little teams out of the sport, which now we're losing a couple at a minimum, uh, you have, uh, the teams don't have to, the, the the crew men and women don't have to spend as much time on the road. You know, it's, it's a, there's a bunch of positives, I believe in the grand scheme of things, there's people that thrive on having that seat time and being able to practice and adjust. It makes it more about the engineers and all them to going and making a setup that works at the start of a race. Uh, versus, you know, actually having to drive out there and do what you have to do. 
Um, it, I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. I mean, I think there is room to have a two-day show, you know, show up on a Saturday, tech the car, go and run a qualifying or run a practice and, and qualify and then just show up and run on Sunday. Or you could qualify. IndyCar is shown. Every other motorsport series is basically shown. You can run a multi-day show uh, under the current guidelines. Um, IndyCar figured out a perfect qualifying scenario for uh, oval races. And uh, they even have, I mean, their qualifying for road courses has kind of gotten wonky for um, in in the in COVID time, but uh, they, I think, I don't mind less time on the on the road for the people that really give us the sport. I think it's fine. I think it's good. If if we're if you're going to spend all that time out there, you're going to have it's the longest schedule in outside of baseball, really. Um, I mean, in, in, I, not really. It's it's longer in terms of months, but. Uh, for NASCAR, it makes it easier on them. They have three off weeks, in part because of the Olympics. Uh, it, I think it's all right. Um, I mean, I don't really know what the alternative would be. I, it definitely helps in the other series because there's not as much money to go and run, let alone to win. Uh, in the Cup Series, it's the one where you can kind of go half 50-50, Kyle Busch has definitely paid the price for no practice amongst other drivers, but I think Kyle Busch will be so PO'd by next year, he'll probably go out and win like eight, ten races. So it's all good. Yeah, again, I, I get concerned about the long-term effects of no practice. I think this year's kind of – it's reared its head where Denny Hamlin's won seven races, uh, Kevin Harvick's won nine, we haven't even finished yet. Um, and both of those guys can win eight or nine races this year. And I don't know when the last time it was we had guys win, two guys win eight or more races in a season, uh, probably 2008, I think. But, you know, if, if they win, both of them win nine, it's even more. So uh, to me, this lack of practice has sort of reared its head a little bit here. I'm hoping that it levels out next year. I also get concerned about the fans who – camp at the racetrack and who knows what's going to happen next year with COVID obviously. Um, but you know, that spend a, a whole weekend at the racetrack and they're only going to see the cup guys one day. Uh, and you know, these, we have so many great, we used to have so many great stories where Brad Keselowski would go through the infield and, you know, uh, hand, hand beard it to fans and um, hang out with fans for a while. Um, and now that's not going to happen because these cup guys aren't even going to be there. So it's changes a lot. And it's something that we're going to have to, uh, I guess, live with here, you know, I understand for sure about the backup car. I totally get that, that they don't have to field the backup car, um, you know, but I just get to a point where, you know, I get concerned and I hope I'm wrong here. I look back in a year and I go, man, that was stupid. That those are my concerns because we have so much parity in 2021 and with the new car in 2022 coming supposedly, um, you know, I, I was totally wrong. With with the parody, the parody is great, but we'll see. Uh, that that is to me the concern about one day shows is is just somebody hitting the mark all year, and these teams who are behind fight all year to catch up. I think we've seen it with Roush. I think we've seen it with Kyle Busch. 
and a couple other organizations that are behind that just can't catch up. And the teams that are really, really good, particularly two that are good on the mile and a half, uh, Hamlin and Kevin Harvick, um, you know, nobody's been re- been really able to catch them. I think lack of track time has been a big reason for that. Uh, Philip, great job as always tonight. If you like what you heard tonight, like us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Uh, you can also find us anywhere a pod, you get your podcast. We are there. Uh, we'll see you next time, the Cup Series, the Xfinity Series, running the Roval. Uh, we'll break that down here next week on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody.